Hello, and welcome to the Renaissance Podcast. Thank you for joining us to worship and learn more about God as we all pursue Him together as a community. For more podcasts and services about past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendecatur.org. Or come connect with us in person on Sunday mornings in downtown Decatur. Now, enjoy the message. Good morning again, everyone. How are you? Well, uh, it's been a worshipy moment already this morning. And um, my role now is just lead us in our, our time of Bible study. And um, we talked about resolutions earlier. I know uh, it's a very common thing for Christians at the beginning of each year to say, I'm going to read a Bible reading plan and start one. And uh, you don't have to raise your hand, but I mean, how many, okay, raise your hand. How many people are starting a Bible reading plan or have done so in the past, right? Just me. That's fine. Okay. And how many, leave your hands up if you failed miserably at doing so. (laughs) Yes, yes. Um, But don't let that preclude you from starting reading the Bible. I am going to tell you, having walked with Jesus for over 27 years now, one of the most primary things that have shaped me outside of being a part of a local congregation. And that's a huge part. We're going to talk about that probably all of 2024, about the, the role of the church in our lives and the help that the church provides in our lives. But beyond that, the greatest Um, tool that God has used to shape me as a person has been his scriptures. So let me encourage you to read the scriptures. It's always nice to be able to know something of uh, of the scriptures yourself so that when a person like me stands up here with a microphone and tells you what the word is, you know it to say, well, I think that guy's full of crap. I'm just telling you right now, (laughs) right? So you need to know if I'm actually saying truth or not. Yes, someone? I'm glad no one shouted when I said he's full of crap. That's really great. Thank you for that. Well, we are starting a new year. I love the promise of a new year. Um, I always like to say it's pregnant with promise for the new year. It it could be anything we almost imagine it to be. And a blank calendar planner for me is just a beautiful thing. Yes, I love it. And and this is the time of year um, where we begin to prioritize relationships, maybe career goals, maybe health goals. We want to get in better shape or something. And we all know the importance of making goals. We all know the importance of resolutions. I have a love-hate relationship with resolutions. I make them every year. I don't keep all of them. And I know this, that if we try to make too many of them, we won't keep any of them. So for, for you, for us, maybe the encouragement, maybe just to be to focus on one or two things that we're trying to do this year. In fact, I've been watching, um, talking to some friends already this year, and some of them are focusing on their relationship with their spouse. Like that's going to be a point of focus for 2024. Well done. Kudos to you. That's, that's free if you want to pick that up and try that for yourself. Some people are trying to do career goals or maybe uh, do better at, like I said, health or whatever. But the idea is to focus on one or two and to make that the main thing. And then let the main thing be the main thing. Say yes, yes, let the main thing be the main thing. Now, as we go back into our study of Luke, um, I want us to be mindful of the main thing that Luke is trying to present to us. He desperately wants his people, the people reading his letter, to know who Jesus is. In fact, he wants them to have a certainty and to understand the implications of the knowledge of who Christ is. In the very beginning of his biography, and that's what we call the Gospel of Luke, it's just a biography about Jesus' life, how he was born, the ministries he did, he died, he raised from the dead, it's all of that. But as he is starting his biography, 
he has a salutation. It's like the beginning of a letter. And in his salutation, he mentions a man named Theophilus. The Bible does not specifically, specifically state who Theophilus is. We know that he was probably a high-ranking, um, influential Gentile for whom uh, Luke himself wanted to give a detailed and historical account of Jesus. This Theophilus, the letter that has been, is written to him, is a, probably a presumed friend of Luke's, certainly a Christian. And Luke states that his whole purpose for writing this biography about Jesus' life, the detailed account of his life and his death and his resurrection, it is because he wants Theophilus to have this. And this is what Luke says in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 4. He says, I want you, Theophilus, to have a certainty of the things that you have been taught. That Theophilus had become a Christian. They'd, someone had told him about Jesus and he wants him to be certain in his faith. And this certainty has as much to do with who Jesus is as it does with detailing all the things that Jesus did. And so Luke repeats this question of who Jesus is throughout the entirety of his gospel. If you remember before December, when we were still doing Luke, before we broke for our Christmas series, um, in chapter eight, Luke, uh, there's a story where Luke is telling um, uh, a story of Jesus crossing the Sea of Galilee with his disciples. Uh, a storm rages up in the middle of the night and the disciples are terrified, thinking they're going to die. And so they wake up Jesus and they ask him to do something. And Jesus, he, he demands the howling wind to whisper and the raging waves to settle. And, and, and after he does this, the disciples, knowing Jesus is certainly a miracle worker, certainly a prophet sent by God, but they question, look here in Luke chapter eight, verse 25, he said, they question, who then is this man that he commands even winds and water and they obey him? There are no less than six occasion, occasions in Luke's gospel where people ask, who is Jesus? At the end of his life, the Roman, at the end of Jesus' life, the Roman governor Pontius Pilate asks Jesus if he is indeed the king of the Jews. Are you the king of the Jews? He asks. The Sanhedrin who pleaded for Jesus' crucifixion, they paused just long enough to inquire of him whether or not he is the Christ. People want to know. This is an important question, and Luke wants us to consider it. Every time we read this gospel, as the people wrestle with the question of who Jesus is, Luke is intending that we also question, who is Jesus? Not just for them, and not just historically, but who is he for ourselves? Luke also records a tremendous amount of miracles that Jesus did. There are over 20-some supernatural events reported being done by Jesus, like healing the sick and diseased, casting out demons, and even raising people from the dead. But not only that, we learned that last week that uh, when Chris was preaching, that Jesus also sent out his disciples and gave them authority and power to cast out demons and to heal the sick as well. Luke skips all the specifics on what they did, but they return back to Jesus. Look here in Luke 9, verse 6. It says this. This is right before our passage today. Luke 9, verse 6. And it says, And they, the disciples, departed from Jesus, and they went throughout all the villages, preaching the gospel, and what? Healing everyone. And because of this, and this is the distinction, because of their work and their ministry, the fame of Jesus Christ grew. More and more people were asking the question, who is this Jesus? And people everywhere were wondering who he was. 
including the man that we are introduced to today, a man named Herod. Herod the Tetrarch. Tetrarch just means it's the area that he is ruling over. His real name was Herod Antipas. You might remember his father, Herod the Great, who tried to kill Jesus when Jesus was born some 30-some years ago. Herod the Great has since passed on. Herod's uh, territory has been divided up into a couple of his sons, and Herod Antipas is one of those sons. So he inherits his rule from his father, Herod the Great, and he presides over this tumultuous reign. It's marked by political cunning, familial discord, and a tremendous amount of moral failings. Herod is infamous for taking his half-brother Philip's wife, Herodias, as his own wife. That would make Christmas awkward, yes? <laughs> hey, bro, who's that girl you got with you? Oh, that's your wife? She's going home with me now. Like... It's strange for sure, but because of his power, he had the authority to do so. It's also gross, just throwing it out there. <laughs> but he takes, he takes Herodias as his own wife, which triggered tension in the ruling family. And this illicit relationship led to a condemnation by the prophet John the Baptist. How many people have heard of John the Baptist? So John the Baptist publicly criticized Herod and Herodias' union. And this infuriated the wife, Herodias, and it contributed to the deterioration of Herod's reputation. And because of this, Herod orders that his soldiers go find John and bind him in prison. And he wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of him. Mark's gospel gives so much more detail on this story. But he was afraid of the people because they, they uh, exalted John the Baptist highly. They esteemed him. And it says that Herod was actually afraid of John the Baptist. But Herod was also a paranoid man. He believed people were constantly trying to take his power. And this paranoia ultimately manifested in the execution of some of his own family members. I think history records for us that he killed at least two of his sons and a wife or two. I guess you have extra back then. And because he thought they were, they were planning to plot a plot against him. But his most notorious execution is the beheading of John the Baptist. It happened during a banquet. Herod Antipas found himself entangled in this web of political and personal dynamics. He's got this, this banquet happening. He's got dignitaries from other places, friends possibly. And this occasion turns dark when Salome, who's now the daughter of Herodias, so stepdaughter to Herod, she comes in and the Bible tells us she performs a dance for him and all of his guests. And the Bible says that this dance pleased him. And so in a moment of impulsiveness, Herod made a rash promise, swearing to grant Salome whatever she desired. You can have anything you want up to half of my kingdom. And prompted by her mother's vendetta against John the Baptist, Salome, she seized this opportunity and she asked for the prophet's head to be delivered to her on a platter. <laughs> And trapped now by his own oath and a reluctance to lose face in front of his guests, Herod reluctantly orders the execution of John the Baptist. And they literally marched to the cell that he was in, dismembered his head from his body, and brought it to her on the plate. So now, John is dead. But soon... Soon thereafter, the countryside is now abuzz with the stories of a miraculous man from Galilee. 
And some of the people are saying that this miraculous man is in fact John the Baptist who's been raised from the dead. Now, we, we know on this side of history, we know that it wasn't John. We know it was Jesus, yes? But Herod doesn't know that. He thinks it's possible that the man he beheaded has actually come back to life and is now performing miracles. And he wants to be certain that it is not John. You see, Herod was tricked into killing John and possibly now filled with remorse, regret, maybe even shame. He wants to know, no, he needs to know if John is alive. Uh, licensed mental health counselor Christopher Ona says this, that shame is the most frequent and often spoken of emotions that he comes across in all of his mental health practice. Questions like, what are you thinking? I can't believe you did that or you said that. You must have known better, you idiot. God is going to be so disappointed in you. These are just a few of the negative internal scripts that, that his, his patients and maybe even ourselves entertain as they roll through our mind from the things that we have done. He continues, that I have found this to be true of those who operate a forklift, use a scalpel, speak from a pulpit, or move children to and fro. Shame, he says, is no respecter of person or station. Would you agree? Shame has been called our most dreaded emotional experience. It has become a ubiquitous, a ubiquitous trait of the human experience, and it is even used to motivate characters in our make-believe stories that we watch on TV or film or read in novels at bedtime. In her blog, where she argues that the best stories in literature contain characters that are haunted by trauma in some way, Kristen Lamb writes this, readers don't connect to perfection, they connect to flaws. Yes, writers aren't telling stories to perfect people, they are telling them to lost and broken and hurting people who can pick up a book and by God, at least there's one freaking place we think that the good guy wins and the bad guy loses. At least we think that, but the best stories contain characters who are flawed. And so shame becomes a great motivator, not just in our lives, but in the, 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 the characters, the protagonists and the antagonists alike in, sto in story. And reading their struggle with shame, it connects with us in some way. So it's here. It's in this, the shadows of remorse and guilt and shame that we find ourselves oftentimes haunted by the choices that stain our past. We don't need to imagine a life burdened with the weight of one's own actions because we all have the echoes of regret just echoing through the corridors of our very souls. And the men and the women of the Bible, they're no different than us. So many of them have experienced the same emotional toll that shame demands. And you know shame demands a toll, don't you? Pay me, pay me, pay me. I need your sleep tonight. I need your tears today. I need your mind when you're trying to prepare for your big business project. Shame demands your time. And constantly it eats away at the inside of us. And the pages of scripture where we peer into the, the dim recesses of other hearts also grappling with shame and sorrow. And I would argue that Herod is possibly one of those people as well. So today we're introduced to this man named Herod and he hears about this miraculous man in Galilee and of his renown. I think if I could pause but for a moment here and just 
Think about this. Look here in verse 9, verse 6. So I mentioned that the disciples had gone out, done a bunch of miracles and did some stuff, and they come back. It says verse 9, verse 6. It says they leave Jesus, they depart, and they go through the village, they preach the gospel, and they heal everywhere. And because of that, the query of who Jesus was um, is coming not from who the works that Jesus did. I'm not saying this right. It's not coming from what Jesus had done. It's coming from what his disciples had done. Is anyone picking up on this? So, so I want you to just consider this for a moment. Us as a church, that the world around us is going to pay attention to Jesus, not because of what Jesus is doing on the earth right now, because you understand he's not walking around with sandals and long hair and all this stuff, Right? Right? Huh? You don't see him in your bedroom at night, do you? <laughs> no. But the work, look at me, but the work that Christ is doing on the earth is done through us. And we're the ones going out and proclaiming the gospel and the kingdom of God and, and performing miracles of healing and deliverance and, and all of that. And we're seeing people born into new life and that is happening. And because of the work that we do, then people wonder who Jesus is. People hear about Jesus through his mighty power through our lives. It comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. It gives us the power to overcome our anger, to be reconciled with our enemies, and to rightly place the kingdom of God over, wait for it, nationalism. The kingdom of God is more important than our nation's politics. Someone please say amen in 2024. Somebody please say amen in 2024. It is going to get, wait for it, gnarly this year. It just is. But we have Christ in us and we will respond differently. We will engage with what our country's doing. Of course, we love it, but it won't, decide, it won't determine whether or not I'm a happy man or an unhappy man. Anyone? It's okay. We'll talk about this in November or whenever. <laughs> Actually, I'm taking vacation the month of November. <laughs> I should write that down. Write that down. All right. So we lose our place. So um, Herod, having killed John the Baptist, this is my premise, um, hears of this man who's doing great miracles and is wondering if he is, in fact, John the Baptist that's come back to life. And so oftentimes when people hear about who Jesus is, they question who, who he is to them. And, and so we see in the passage that Joe read for us that, that some of the people thought that he was John the Baptist. Some of them thought he was Isaiah, which is a prophet from the Old Testament we'll talk about in a minute. Some of them thought maybe another Old Testament prophet like Moses. We'll talk about that in a second. But so many times when we're confronted with the reality of who Jesus is, we question who he is to us. And there are three different possibilities that we see in the passage today, whether it's Herod wrestling with this or the disciples wondering who Jesus is. And it says this, that some of them thought it was John the Baptist that come back, had come back to life. I'm arguing that, that John felt some guilt and shame for being tricked into executing John the Baptist. And I don't know if that's true or not, but I can only imagine it to be true. John had ministered to people in the wilderness, as had Jesus. John talked about repentance and the coming kingdom of God, as does Jesus. And both of them were used by God as someone to come and bring conviction to people about their past wrongs, telling them to repent. And repent is just a fancy church word that just means to turn around or change directions. I'm going to be honest with you. I think repent is a great word for the beginning of the year. 
I think many of us could probably use a corrective action by the Holy Spirit into our lives to turn us back to the way of God. Yes? Many of us are chasing after things that maybe God doesn't want us chasing after. I don't need to know what they are. I say I don't care. I do care. But I don't need to know all the things that you're chasing after that are ungodly. God wants to correct that in you. And the way he does so is through repentance. You don't need to be forgiven of your sins again. Jesus has done that on the cross. Say amen. Yes, yes, but he does ask us to repent, which just means stop being a dummy and turn around and chase after God. Chase after his kingdom. Seek his will in your life. Don't make all of your decisions based on the best financial gain you might reap. As per example, speaking from someone who has no financial gains, right? These are the jokes, people. Help me out here. (laughs) They tell you I work at a church. I don't. Anyways, so we repent. That's the language. And so oftentimes when we encounter Jesus, when Miracles are happening around us and people around us are wondering what what do they need to do. The first order of business for us is to remind them that they're just living a life that God isn't honoring. And so we say, you should repent and go back to God. And the primary way to do so is through his son, Jesus. And so we're going to speak about Jesus always. And this is just a message we need to hear. We need God's leadership. Yes. Yes. We need God's wisdom. Yes. Yes. Please, yes. We need his morals. We need his ethics. God is the artist who envisioned and created this life. So certainly he has a better understanding of how to live in it than we do. And so, anyways, another person that oftentimes people think Jesus was, was a man named Elijah the prophet. Elijah is the second response here. He's the gold standard of Israel's prophets, if you will. But he had been gone for over 800 years at this point. But this mysterious man in Galilee is performing all these miracles. Maybe it's Isaiah coming back or something. We don't know. We just know this, that Elijah had been promised in the Old Testament to return before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And this caused many people to think that Jesus was possibly Elijah. But if you knew the story of Isaiah, you would say there's no way Jesus could be him. And here's why. Because Isaiah, like many of us in the room, had what I call a faulty faith or a wishy-washy faith. And here's fun homework for you if you want to go back into the Old Testament and read some bizarro stories. In 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 19, we see this stark contrast between the man Isaiah, who's standing on a mountaintop with calling down fire from heaven, defeating the prophets of Baal. If you know the story, like this amazing moment that God is doing in Isaiah's life to then flip the page to chapter 19 and he's running for his life because uh, Ahab and his wife are after him, want to kill him. Isaiah crawls underneath the tree and asks God if he could just die. Here's a moment, the page before, God's doing something great and the very next moment, he's like, God doesn't exist, I just want to die. There's no way that's who Jesus is for us. Jesus' faith never falters. And in him, we don't have to falter in our faith either. Yes, you may falter. He will never. You may try and fall and get back up again, but Jesus, he laid down once to be raised from the dead forever. 
It is, yes, thank you. Yes, it is established in the annals of history itself. Christ has done a work that we could not do for ourselves. We believe in that. And in that, our faith is strengthened and does not falter. Jesus is not like Isaiah. He is not like us who claim to have good days when God is really speaking to us in the worship and in the songs in church and bad days when the, when the church just don't play the good songs anymore. <laughs> I used to be a worship leader at a church, um, which is hilarious for this reason. I didn't know how to do worship in a church. <laughs> I had no idea. I didn't grow up in the church at all. And I just knew how to play guitar pretty good. And so they made me the worship guy. That's what pastors do. <laughs> if you're good at something, you become the leader in that in the church. <laughs> that's, that's true. Um, so imagine, like, I'm doing a worship leading in this church for a couple years, and I'm doing my best. Let's be honest. I'm trying really hard. And one day after church, we're sitting, wait for it, at Carlos O'Kelly's. Anyone? Anyone? <laughs> wow. I have to point this out. I have to point this out. For the record, I've said Jesus at least 100 times. <laughs> at, at least 100 times. And none of you, none of you whooped for Jesus. But Kids Eat Free on Sundays got a whoop from Carlos O'Kelly's. <laughs> Sitting there in my salsa and queso, and an old-er woman walks up to me <laughs> and hands me a piece of paper. And I turn around, I look at her, I'd never seen her before in my life. I come to find out she actually goes to the church that I lead worship in. I had no idea. She hands me a piece of paper with five songs on it. She's like, you should do these. Um, anyways, moving on. <laughs> the, the funny story, I had no, I, they're all hymns. I didn't know any hymns. I don't know why I'm even bringing this up. Why am I talking about this again? I have no idea. I have no idea. I'm really, I'm really thinking. Um, doesn't matter. Church folk, they're the best. All right. Jesus does not falter. We might, but he will never. And so we see that in Isaiah's life. And there's another person. They think he might be one of the prophets of the old, maybe like Moses. The third response is that Jesus might be, like I said, Moses. Now, Moses to Israel is the greatest prophet that they had ever experienced. And Jesus' attitude is similar to Moses and similar to the other Old Testament prophets too. It says that he wept like Jeremiah, he confronted the authorities like Elijah and some of the other prophets. He rebuked the religious leaders like Ezekiel. And so many people wondered if maybe Jesus was just one of the old prophets reincarnated. But you have to know this, especially when it comes to the life of Moses. Moses, when he came and spoke to God's people on God's behalf, he brought with him rules. We call it the law of Moses. He brought with him the standard to have a relationship with God. And it requires heavy lifting and sweating and perspiration and a lot of work on your end. And the law was the standard by which you had a relationship with God. And the unfortunate reality is nobody could keep all the rules of God. You don't have to raise your hand, but would you like to admit in yourself that you have, some of us in the room have been duped by that religious idea of works, 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 so that you could earn, earn, earn from God. 
And you always feel some way of shame and regret and sorrow because you're just not good enough. If Jesus were like Moses from the Old Testament, that would be the message he would bring. And how does that help us? How, how many of us want to honestly admit we do not need another person telling us what we should be doing better? Like you're pretty great at doing that yourself, don't you think? So he's not like Moses. He doesn't drop a stone tablets in front of us and say, and say, obey and demand our actions be corrected. In fact, Christ comes, the Bible tells us, to fulfill the law, to ultimately do something by never sinning, fulfilling every command that God had ever given in his life, giving his life as a sacrifice for us on the cross that we've already mentioned so that you and I, by faith, don't have to do so. This is the good message. And so within these two sections of scripture where the Herod's asking who Jesus is and the disciples are being uh, questioned by Jesus, who do people say that I am, right, that story? And they said, well, some people think you're John the Baptist, some people think you're Isaiah, some people think or Elijah, sorry, I keep saying Isaiah, it's apologies. Um, some people think Elijah, some people think maybe one of the Old Testaments. And then, and then Jesus asks them all, maybe pointing at Peter, we don't know for sure, but he says, but who do you say that I am? I know that's what everyone else says, but you've been with me for a while. Who do you say that I am? And, and Peter responds famously with those words, well, I believe you are the Christ. Even though Jesus had been linked to these three other prophets, or John the Baptist and Elijah and maybe Moses, he is greater than all of them. And he is the Christ. I, um, <laughs> it might come to surprise of some of you, and it was me when I became a Christian and learned this, I didn't know that Christ was not Jesus' last name. And some of you might not know that. Like, I just thought his name was Jesus Christ. And I only used it by way of a cuss word when I, before I became a Christian, right? That whole thing. But Christ is actually not his last name or surname. It actually comes from the Greek word Christos, which just means anointed one or chosen one. Christ is, in fact, a title to Jesus. It's the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word Mashiach, which just means Messiah. Jesus is the Lord's human name given to him by Mary, but his title is Christ the chosen one, the anointed one, the king who will rule forever and ever and ever. And the question that was, was um, given to the disciples is the same question that I would love to just put in front of you today. Who, who do you say Jesus is for you? Is he someone just coming to tell you to work harder? Because if that's your picture of who Jesus is, you, you've got a wrong picture, as I've already discussed. It, if, it's, if it's someone you think that um, has the inability to sure up your faith and, and make you less wishy-washy, you have an incorrect picture of who Jesus is. Because he can absolutely establish in you a faith that will never run or falter. And if you think he's just someone that's come... Like Herod, when, if he thought it was John the Baptist, if you, if you think Jesus has just come to bring shame and regret before you, to make you sorrowful for all the actions that you've done, you don't know who Jesus is. 
And so the question remains, who is Jesus to you? If you, if we, if you and I, if we cannot answer the question that he is the Christ, the Son of God, then we are answering incorrectly. I look forward to what's going to happen in this church next year. I, um, I have no idea what God's going to do. I, I have been praying. I believe, I said this last year, I think the, the Lord is leading us to a, a level of maturity, that there's going to be some growing up that's going to take place among many of us, uh, including your pastor. You're welcome. I think God is going to grow a lot of us up. But I'm convinced we don't move forward into the next year without a deep-seated understanding that Jesus has done the work for us. That our relationship with God is established in him and him alone. And if Jesus is anything other than that to you, we need to erase that from you and start over. We sang earlier that we have been made new. You have been born again. Those of us who are in Christ Jesus are brand new. And we can live a different 2024. Yes? Yes, we can live a different 2024 that's not filled with shame and sorrow and regret. And it's not to say we didn't do dumb things. We did Right? And we get to make amends to people we've harmed. We can reconcile. We can do all the things that are impossible to do on our own without Christ. We can do those things, and the world can watch that happen. But those things are, are the outflow of what Christ has done for us on the inside. So I think I'm finished. Okay. <laughs> you don't have to turn around and look, but there's a timer right there on the back of the room there. I finished ahead of schedule. This, this might, if we could believe in such things, this could be an omen for 2024. <laughs> I, we might finish early every week. Come on. No. Mm-hmm. <coughs> I, I, um, I'll say a few things here. I'm done. You can leave. Every once in a while, the, the, since I've been a Christian and filled with the Holy Spirit, the Lord would sometimes let me see things or understand some things in the lives of people around me. We sometimes call them um, words of knowledge. Um, sometimes I'll have words that I'll say to people that maybe are called prophetic words. I, we could talk all about that at a different time. I just want to say this. I'm not trying to oversell this. And if, it's, if this isn't of the Lord, then we'll just throw it away. But I think the Lord wants to say something to a few people in the room. Um, it is this. It is some of you have had your tongues t- tied, that you've been told, I don't know if it's the devil telling you, other people have been telling you, that, that your praise, like if you were to sing to the Lord that is unworthy of him, 
And I'm just here to say that the, the Lord is untying some tongues in this place today, which, which tells us, the Bible talks about when we go before God, we enter his courts with thanksgiving and praise. Like if we want to be around God, we, we actually need to speak and declare the goodness of who he is. And some of us, you, right? Me too, probably. But, but some of us have been, have had our tongues tied. And so we can only go so far with God. And I, I believe, this sounds so strange. Guys, I'm a pastor of a church. This is weird to me, right? But I believe it is from God that he's untying some tongues today. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means, but like some of you are going to rejoice in 2024 in a way that you couldn't do in 2023. There will be praise that will come from the tip of your tongue and through your lips that you never thought possible a year ago. And God is untying something. He's healing some things. He's changing some things. And you'll be able to say things you never thought imaginable. Things like, I'm sorry, or I forgive you. And all these things to other people you never thought possible. You're going to praise God in a way that you never thought you would. You're going to use his name no longer as a cuss word, but as a, as a way of praise and honor. God is untying some tongues in here today. Yeah? So let's just agree. Say amen. amen. All right, we're done. Let's go. Uh, Lord, thank you. Thank you for our time. We bless you and ask that you be with us as we go in our week and we continue to move on. God, we love you. We want to be a, a church who loves you and serves you and honors you in all things, God. So just be with us as we move on. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Love you guys. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to support you and have you be a part of our community. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. There you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, and even contribute to the growth of the church through online giving. Or you can come see us in person on Sunday mornings in downtown Decatur. We can't wait to see you.